Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our show... Literal drum roll. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm Caleb Pickering. Uh, I'm the assistant professor of percussion and music theory here on campus. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, it's yes. really super great to have you on the podcast. Tell me if I'm wrong, Travis. We have not had a music faculty member. Nope. Nope. This so is the first you get music to be faculty. The first music faculty member that we get to interview. Cool. Yeah, very excited about that. So, We've had musicians, but never a music professor. So <laughs> so how can you tell us, let's just start out, tell us your journey of young Caleb Pickering to becoming a music professor. I'm very interested to hear this story. It's actually pretty boring, um, but <laughs> it's like most people, high school band, marching band, playing in high school rock bands, went on to undergrad thought I'm going to be a percussion director at a school somewhere, did my degree. Uh, it was a heavy performance school, Texas A&M Commerce, and I ended up loving playing. Uh, went out to Vegas one summer for a event, uh, met the faculty there, so went and did a master's in Vegas. I uh, got a lot of good gigging experience and clubs and uh, the classical circuit as well out there. Came back and taught in Texas for a bit. And then a good friend of mine started teaching at James Madison University over in Virginia. So I went over there, did the doctorate while I was working on my own professional path and taught there for, I think, two years and then got the gig here. And yeah, that's about it. That's the quick one. <laughs> so did you always play drums like way back, like fifth grade band or whatever? Was percussion always an interest for you? We start in sixth, and as percussion, we do. I actually don't play that much drum set anymore. Um, but you know, I was as most sixth graders and seventh graders, not the best student, um, not that invested in it. Didn't really get into it, into it until high school. But yeah, we've been beginning bands in the sixth grade playing wow. percussion. So I, fun fact, not to turn it into the Hannah yeah. show, but I was a high school drummer. I played uh, the quince and also I was a bass drum. I was in the bass drum line, not a snare drummer, but I learned later on in college trap and everything else. So all fellow drummer here, just want to give you a high five, cool. fellow, fellow yeah. drummer. Yeah. Nice. I played trombone so, for a few weeks and they threw me out of band because I couldn't read music. So in sixth grade, so... Well, that's not fair. Uh, I did exploratory after learning to read. I was real. I was real bad, and I have no rhythm. So, oh, um, uh, that's okay. Those people you have to have fired. one or two. You should be able to read music or have rhythm. But if you have neither, it's like yeah, go do something else. So I did oh, something those, else. So. Oh, those are <laughs> teachers. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a You're small school, learning. so no, don't blame the it's teachers. Okay. It, was, it was all me. No, no, we'll blame the teachers. <laughs> we don't. We don't do that. So what caused you to? I mean, I I can kind of see like, oh, I'll go to Vegas and do like a master's degree, but. Like going and doing a PhD and deciding to teach is kind of an altogether dif different path. What sort of influenced you there? Funny enough, not to shrink the job I do here, but this is about 50%. The Northwest load is about 50% of my career. The other half is my performing and writing. Um, so for a lot of, you know, a lot of performers, you know, there's only so many gigs 
And there's only so many places in the Chicago Phil and the New York Phil. And also that's an orchestral route. And I wasn't about that. I didn't want to go down the orchestral path. And a lot of people don't. So you go down the more contemporary performance path and then you end up teaching it as well. And it's nice. Um, I get to work with great students here and I teach them. And then I go home and job two starts and composition and performance gets ready for shows and events and premieres and things like that. But it's great. I really enjoy it. So how when you talk about performance, what does that look like for you? Do you have a group that you perform with? Do you gig things like people call you and say, hey, I need percussionist. How does that work? I get calls to, for percussion pretty regularly. I start turning them down. Well, I have been turning them down the past few years, purely from a fiscal point of view, because time versus money, and I can spend more time on composition, and that can become a product that sells time and time again. So I just started valuing that more, and I I enjoy it more. I enjoy the kind of the solitude of it. But for me, I'm I playing uh, jazz gigs when they come up uh, a few years right when I got here, the month before I started teaching, there was a Forever Green campaign. Is that what it was? Yeah, they had their like gala at the end of it. And me and a couple other music faculty put together a combo and we we're like, hey, we met yesterday and let's throw <laughs> together play, a couple yeah. of hours of jazz. And we do gigs like that and little spots here and there. But for the most part, I do composition and uh, solo career just playing solo works yeah so tell us a little bit about that composition like how did you get into it how do you approach it again it's uh i mean i've interviewed a lot of people similarly we we also have a podcast but um i've been asked this question a lot about oh how do you get started or how do you get into it it's just like all right well step one you just start you just write yeah you just <laughs> like if it's if you want to get good at if you want to write like game of thrones you can plan and plan and plan but you just have to start like you have to write a bad book first and then your next book is a little bit better and a little bit better but if you don't write the first bad clifford the big red well give clifford the big red dog a break yeah he's That's got pretty he's good, got good yeah. narrative yeah <laughs> Yeah, you, you're going to have to write a couple of like airplane romance novels before you hit hit your Stephen King phase. But really, yeah, for me, it was um, I was playing a lot of music and I just started writing one day. I was like, hey, I'm going to write myself a solo piece. And then that turned into another, which turned into an ensemble thing for something else. And it just blew up. And now I do that uh, as a huge part of my career. And um, right now I'm the chair of the PASIC I have to tell abbreviations. I forget where I am. The Percussive Art Society. Um, I chair the composition committee for that. So I just started in January. Uh, but it's great. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I get to work with a lot of composers and percussionists around the world. And I enjoy it. Tell me about your creative process. Like, give us give us a little window into your brain as you're composing. Like, do you just have these ideas that come to you? Do you hear hear things while you're out and about? Like, how do you get these ideas for compositions? Yeah, I hate to say the romanticized vision of me at two in the morning by candlelight and papers furiously flying over my shoulders as I finish them. It's very much not the case. Um, j just like anything, it, you start with a simple idea. It's like, how do you turn that simple idea into something bigger? You know, I always think of it as like, um, I always go with Transformers. It's like if I'm going <laughs> to make the a Transformers movie from Michael Bay. All right. I definitely know. I'm going to have whatever young couple that gets together at the beginning. 
I'm going to have the government get involved in the middle and I need giant highway robot fight at the end. It's like, all right, I know I have my big plot points and anyone can come up with those. But the real the real hard part is how do you create a narrative and expand one small thing to get seamlessly to the other? Because there's a lot of bad music um, that's out now, especially with the Internet. Like as much good music that comes out, a lot of bad comes out as well. And it's all equally voiced. So a lot of things get buried, which is unfortunate. But yeah, for me, it's just little germs of ideas. And I wish I could say like, oh, yeah, I, this morning I went for a walk and I looked over and there is a bird on a tree and there was some snow and it pooped on the snow. And that represents <laughs> no one does that really. Yeah, it's very much like if you know theory and you know sound um, and how chords, well, I, not chords work, it's, I don't follow that. But if you just know how sounds work and, and music works and you've played a lot of it, uh, you just start getting a feel for it. But I mean, it's just like anything. I think people really romanticize the writing of books and music and art. But yeah, I mean, think about a painter. You know, if they paint a painting and they're they're going along and they mess something up and they can't paint over it, you go back to square one, paint the canvas, and then start again. Yeah, as a painter also. That's the beauty. <laughs> We've got a lot of like real downer answers today for some reason. <laughs> but it's, it's really just, they're just simple. Um, yeah, I wish it wasn't so romanticized. I guess it's fun, but yeah, it's, it's just like any craft or trade. It's you get good at it and you learn how to do it on a small scale and then a bigger and a bigger you make your little wooden car and then 50 years later, you build an arc or something like that. So what about on the technical side of it? Like, do you write, do you have like a digital program? Is that how you write your compositions? Do you like handwrite it out on staff paper? How do you, how do you actually write it so it can be published? There's kind of three, well, there's four programs that kind of exist. One's called Finale, another Sibelius, Dorico, and MuseScore. Uh, MuseScore is mainly for students, and Finale and Sibelius were the the old ones. They're, they're still around. Um, I was a Sibelius person for years and years and years, and I just switched uh, last week to another one. Uh, but basically, it's just a notation software. You go through, you click, say, I want to put in stream of 16th notes. You click your 16th note icon. You place it on the staff. I have a MIDI keyboard over here, and I can play it into it. Uh, so that's where the final goes because you can't you can't sell like handwritten manuscript anymore since like 1940. If you do manuscript by hand, you do have to turn it into something that's legible and standardized. But I do have, I mean, I keep a couple of notation staff paper on me at all times. And yeah, there's little, there's one of my books and I often do it by hand or do little things by hand because it's just quicker. Like I can write faster than I can click through something. So it's kind of like if I have something that's really good and I really want to get it down, it's kind of like I have the idea and then there's a timer starts and that idea is going to morph or change a little bit and it might not be the same one I had. So if I can have a pencil and paper, I can I can write it out very quickly, even if it's chicken scratch, and then I go back and clean it up. Transcribe it into the program or whatever. Yeah. You put on trash TV, like 90 Day Fiance on one monitor. And you put your manuscript and your other stuff on the other and you just you watch people have terrible relationships and you feel better about yourself. And then you put music into the computer. 
you've ruined the image of me. I love know, that. You in a candlelit room with a feather quill, like right, like that's ruined now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's just me, 90 day fiance, and uh and a keyboard. Yeah. And a keyboard, yeah, just going at it. So what kind of classes are you teaching? You know, the music department, I think, is one of those places on campus that music majors spend a lot of time in. And the folks that aren't music majors, it's kind of a foreign land over there. You know, you don't really venture over there very often. The fine arts building's a little scary sometimes. I know when I was an undergrad, I never stepped foot in that building. And now I live right next to it. So what kind of stuff are you teaching over there, uh, you know, with your classes in fine arts? The big three class classes, like classroom instruction classes, are theory three and theory four which is the last two of our, we have theory one through four. So our new faculty, Will Sutton, who this is his first year, uh, he teaches one and two, and we collaborate to make sure this, the new sequence, we were just building it, restarting it because we had two retirement. So we're very fresh, but we're revamping the theory sequence. And he goes through one and two. I pick it up with three and four, but we talk about theory of music and we go through a little bit of Western art music and then a little bit of non-Western art music contemporary music and they learn how to write and analyze and break it down to its core components Uh, another one is they pair with them it's called aural skills classes where essentially it's the same thing but learning to identify things by ear quicker so you don't just hear sounds and have to go pluck around till you figure it out you can hear and you can think uh yeah there's some predictable things that my ear is going to follow and if it doesn't hit those things that means it's if it doesn't hit x that means it's y okay it's y if it's not y now it's going to be z and etc and the other one is a percussion methods class that is for all the music ed kids we teach them basically how to play percussion on a very fundamental level because you really do um pedagogy philosophy of course is so important but at the end of the day it's you really have to know how to do it at least a base level. And yeah, a trumpet player is not going to be able to play percussion or or clarinet as well as they can play trumpet. But if they know the, the basic foundations of each one and have a good grasp on how it goes, then, you know, they can convey and model for, you know, a middle school, high school class as they need. Uh, then we have percussion ensemble, which is just think of it as like big drum band, but not drum line. It's a bunch of contemporary classical percussionists. We do a Brazilian ensemble, and right now we're doing a bunch of stuff with tape and lighting effects. And then we do applied lessons, as all the instrumental faculty do, the trombone professor does. All the trombone students, I do all the percussion students, uh, they meet every week. And I've also started doing composition this semester, so it's fun. Keeps you busy, but it's nice to have variety. I never get stale sitting in a room, listening to the same people play the same pieces. I get to freshen my ears all the time throughout the day. Do you advise students? I, I guess I my my question, my leading question here is, what advice would you give to a a percussion student? I know the the students you're probably teaching are probably music ed or their instrumental non piano. I think is their categorization. Yeah. Maybe their ed or bachelor of arts. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give for them, kind of on launching themselves out after graduation? If they want to teach any level that's not collegiate, you have to become a very good musician. Like I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to teach so I can be, it's okay if I kind of suck in my lessons or my ensemble. As long as I get some A's and B's and a handful of C's in the classwork, you know, I'll be fine. It's just like, that's totally fair to think, but I'm really glad they're not like a swim coach because their kids would be dead and drowned. (laughs) 
<laughs> like you have to, yeah, you have to know how to do the thing at a level that is higher than the people you're teaching. You know, how embarrassing it would be if you're a clarinetist and you had your high school clarinet kids can come up with a better idea to phrase something than you than you can. So that if they're going to teach, mine is, yeah, you have to, this idea of teacher or performer is totally gone. That ended decades ago. Um, you have to be able to play. You don't have to be able to, you know, be competitive to the point you're going to win like a high national, international performing job. But, you know, you need to be able to play your horn or your instrument, whatever it is. And if they're a Bachelor of Arts, whatever they're going into, say if they want to perform, if you want to perform, you got to perform, <laughs> you got to perform, you've got to win, basically. I mean, for my position as a tenure track percussion professor, uh, we typically have in the U.S. for the ten- like the tenure track, the Golden Goose one we all go after. Uh, we have about five of those a year around the country. And there's several hundreds of hundreds of percussionists with doctorates trying to win those positions. And so let's say there's 200 people. Okay, you cut out 100 of them because they're jerks. Um, That's just unfortunately how the music world is. Some people at that level, some start getting an ego, some start getting a little pretentious. As I sit here on my ivory (laughs) tower sounding pretentious about what you should and should not do. But you cut that in half and then, yeah, you take out uh, the people that can't quite play at the level they need to at that high performing level. I mean, you're down to, you're down to 50, but yeah, to get into that 50, you have to be a good person and good, do good work that is better than others. So yeah, I think if somebody wants to play, they, you know, music's not a competition, but you need to be highly competitive because you do have to beat other people. I know when I apply to this job, I know other people, friends of mine that also apply to this job and it's the same thing. You talk to who, hey, who uh, who won that gig? Who all applied? We find out. And it's the same, you know, it's the same 30 people. And it's that same group of us that are winning the gigs and keep getting invited. And there's a lot of people that, you know, it's really unfortunate to go all the way, perform, maybe get a doctorate. And then it's like, well, I can't get a gig. So now I have a doctorate and I'm teaching middle school, which is fine. I mean, I know one person, uh, the Kansas City area has a doctorate, teaches high school. He's amazing. And he loves it. But that's his bag. That's really what he wants to do. For me, I, I wasn't too into teaching high school. So I did my thing. But yeah, I think you just have to work hard. And unfortunately, you have to be willing to work harder than the person next to you. That's interesting. You're the second faculty member this season we've talked to who has talked about that. That's kind of the situation we had. Dr. Ford in the history department also mentioned that, oh, yeah. you know, history professorships that are tenure track are very challenging to get as well. And you don't, you don't think about that. You know, you think, oh, there's so many colleges, there's so many jobs, but the good ones, the ones people want are really competitive and hard to get. So it is, yeah, it's tough. It's a really scary position too. Cause you know, I have several friends that are adjuncts. They adjunct at two or three schools and then COVID hits. They're like, okay, who's the first to go? And then suddenly they are jobless and there are no jobs open. And that that happens even now. I have I have a friend that they he found out that his job that he's had for a while, that's very, very good instructor level. They're like, we might be removing this because it's not a permanent funded position. And we're I don't think we can do it. I'm not sure. So and he's a great player, but Man, what a downer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you came for your job interview, was playing a part of the interview at all? Yeah, we do the normal interview stuff like anyone would do, you know, meet with this group, that group, dean, et cetera, teach a class. Uh, all the music people, they do a 
uh, mini recital. So I did about four pieces, 25, 30 minutes. It was in the summer, unfortunately. So my audience was a handful of faculty and a couple of students that were in town, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, I got to play and have a good time. And it was a lot of fun. Maybe we should have that. So maybe we should integrate that, Travis, for our next uh, full-time staff member interview. Like you ha- if you can play an instrument or whatever, we- we're going to need you to uh, have a a 20 minute recital or something. I think we, that's made, a... we made Grace do a presentation when she applied. That's <laughs> kind of our version of that. Yeah. So <laughs> sure. You mentioned a lot of bad music being out there, you know, with folks being able to publish their own stuff on SoundCloud or on TikTok or whatever. How important is it for people that want to be musicians, like gigging, performing musicians, to still come get an education and do or versus just self-publishing? Do they it's within our best interest to say they should still do it. But do you think that you know there really is value in that beyond just going out there and making the thing? If you want to be a composer, composer, whatever that means, I guess within the, the canon of Western art music, is, which I fall into, yeah, you, you need some training. Of course, there's a hand. People always say, well, Charles Ives, back in the early 1900s, he was a real estate agent. He had no college experience or training. It's like, okay, well come up with like 12 more and then and then we'll listen to that argument. So yeah, it's super important. Um of course if you want to teach you, you have to have an ed degree by you know by law. And but if you want to play that's where it gets a little messy. If you want to go down the orchestral route, you need to do have a teacher of that caliber um that specializes in that thing. But if you're somebody that wants to play solely drum set then yeah, at the end of the day connections are more important than having the degree and at the same time yeah i've i've known people that have gone through drum set focused programs and it's like and they you know slack off for a long time it's like hey you know what what are you doing like you're going to class all day and then not doing your playing but there's some kid also in the same city that's not going to class and is playing all day and gigging at night and he might not be getting lessons regularly but who's working at the end of the day (laughs) So yeah, but for for what we do in the Western art sphere, uh, yeah, you you really do need an education because it's just it's not harder by any means. You know, some things are more technical, some things are more complex, say harmonically. Uh, but it's not better or worse. It's just another thing. I think so. Just to add a little bit to that statement, I think what you don't get is you don't get the history of music, the history of Western music. I guess. I mean, playing is amazing and, and not getting that practical training in, but there are just some pieces that you're not going to be able to get unless you have a teacher to sort of help you enter into that. Uh, maybe. Um, Spotify and, and randomized things are, are so good now. I mean, I, you find I find new stuff all the time just through Spotify recommendations. And of course, it's like, oh, it's Chopin Etude 14. I, I don't know if I've listened to this one. There's a lot of them. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of other people. But yeah, as far as the music history thing, music history is super interesting and super important uh, for me, more about the context of which the world was existing at the time and the influences within it, more so than the exact specific history, history, the fun mm-hmm. facts. I know Shostakovich was alive in the first half of the 1900s, died in the second half of the 1900s. Don't know when he was born. Can't remember when he was died i don't know when where he was born but like it has so much more impact to know like the siege of uh uh oh shoot leningrad is it mm-hmm. leningrad or stalingrad oh both maybe um 
we'll just say Leningrad. I might I might be wrong, but how that affected um, his symphony. Um, I think it's Symphony Ten. There's a movement in there that uh, is very bizarre. But then you find out these high horns are actually he's mimicking like the bombs falling. But you you just don't know that. And then there's a very tongue in cheek march in the middle of it that you know it sounds fun and people are like, oh, that was a really nice thing. It's like no no no, that's that's Stalin. Like that's his like hey you're doing great. And then it goes back. But if you don't have like the music history aspect of that to put two and two together and have people draw, help you start drawing connections, it's just a skill set. Yeah. How does history apply to the music? How does music affect the history? You just have to learn how to interconnect the two. What, what were we talking about? Something about his- history? I don't know. <laughs> what types of music are your favorite to listen to for fun? <laughs> for fun. Yeah. Sometimes people say, I like all types of music. No, they don't. No one likes all type of music. You're a liar and you're and you should feel bad about that statement because you haven't sat down and thought about it. I mean, I do love tons of types of music. Um, my favorite favorite, though, at the end of the day is definitely uh, like the heavier metal core from like the let's just say 2010 till now. The stuff some people might label you might get the screamo label or the metal label or the, the gent label. There's a lot of different overlaps that people throw at it but i've always been into really heavy music because that's that's the kind of bands i played in in high school and yeah i still just love doing it it's cathartic and it's just fun this is a bit of a selfish question because i have a daughter who's a senior in high school that wants to be a music professor someday so what advice would you have for a student who maybe wants to follow in a similar career path to yours like any words of wisdom from someone who's been there and been successful at it whatever their instrument is they're, they're going to have to play it through all of it for the most part, like, unless they go through some specific different degrees. But yeah, you have to be able to play well. She's a singer, so. Hey, oh, oh singers, yeah. Oof. Vocal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, have to be able to sing well. And I mean, today's modern world, um, yeah, getting a music professorship is it's pretty hard, regardless of what you play. You know, most colleges have a couple of voice on staff, uh, at least one male, one female voice type, because you really do need, they, they require different things. So you need a specialist in either thing. Uh, but yeah, you, you have to be able to be comfortable singing and work on your rhythm. If you're a singer, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, probably going to get, she's got her mom's that. rhythm. So she's good there. So she's, she did not she's take good, after good. me. So yeah, you know, you can't bury yourself into one corner. Um, if they're, if someone's a musical theater singer, you really need to look at some opera and jazz. If you're only interested in classical art song, that's awesome. But there's a lot of other stuff. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with being better at more things. You're still going to be good at the original thing. But yeah, be a jack of all trades and master of one. That's good advice for every career. So yeah. Where can yeah, they find you if they want to see your work? Do you have a website or um, you know, an uh, online yeah. presence where they can see your stuff? For me, it's if you just Google my name, Caleb Pickering, you'll you'll find CalebPickering.com and my YouTube channel uh, where I put up most of my stuff. Instagram, I'm I've taken a little break the past two months because I've been working on some big projects. Uh, but after this Thursday, I have a recital Thursday and a, a premiere in Texas Thursday. And once that's off the plate, I'll get back to sharing some projects as they get worked on. CalebPickering.com links to most of my stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank y'all. All All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat. And we'll talk to you next time.